so welcome back to Royal Grown Radio. We're here at Phoenix Rising's farm, right along the edge of the little Applegate River. Yes. You can hear it bubbling in the background, the cool breeze whispering through our hair, which is so refreshing after being up in the greenhouses and getting an amazing tour of this regenerative farm and kind of learning about how it came to be. I'm really interested to share with our listeners some of the roots of both you, Casey, and Jeremy, you know, on how you came into the cannabis world. You know, Jeremy, you growing up in Humboldt in farming family, and Casey, you coming from New Jersey, right? Yep. And, you know, how we all ended up here together. It's a recurring theme that really means a lot to me to tell the story of how we all came together and ended up here today. And, you know, I guess, Jeremy, you're the born and raised California Humboldt local. Tell us a little bit about your kind of upbringing and how you fell into cannabis and or cannabis found you. Cannabis definitely found me. Absolutely. My parents, uh, my father was born in San Francisco. My mother was born in Sonoma and they were part of the whole back to the earth movement out of the 60s. Um, They just slowly migrated up north, settling in Leggett. I was born in Garberville and then my father started, um, he was bootlegging, uh, bootlegging, he was bootlegging cassette tapes and started the car stereo store, as you know. And then he slowly just splintered off and started doing organic agriculture and was one of the first certified uh, CCUF organic ag- you know, farmers in, in California. My mother and father split in the late 70s and she, um, she started farming cannabis up in northern Humboldt. And so I had the best of both worlds growing up on my father's Buddhist uh, organic farm and my mother uh, growing up in northern Humboldt up on the up in Pequon, Wichipec, Boulay and Cannabis, 79. And, uh, you know, I, was, I, I told the story on Instagram the other day, the, the gentleman she was with for some time who really helped turn me on to cannabis and helped really point me in this direction that I'm still in 40 plus years later. Um, you know, one of my first gigs on the, on the mountain was uh, sex and cannabis, six years old. And, and just, just growing up like that. And again, having so many people coming with the reverence of the plant has not allowed me to take it for granted. And, and, and that just really got me going. And, and just back when I started working the mountain at 18, 19 year old as a man, it was just very much like I'd never left. It was just like back on the mountain and just I've been, haven't stopped since. Wow. And for those people at home who don't know where Wichpec or Pequon is, that's like the very top of Humboldt County, bottom of Del Norte County, right where the Klamath River flows in to the Pacific Ocean. And it's a very, very sacred place for the native people of California and Humboldt County. Truly. So that tie into that sacred kind of root, I think, is something that we're often reminded of in the cannabis world and kind of looking back to pay homage to those communities that really brought cannabis to where it is today, far before the concepts that we're seeing right now. Like I, I was born in 1979, so that's really inspirational for me. Yeah, yeah truly, truly. I, I can't tell you how blessed I feel now even I'm working with the Cannabis Conservancy. I'm a co-founder. I'm working with the Sun and Earth, and to be able to to parlay my organic upbringing, you know, I worked with CSUF for a short time. To be able to parlay that into this facet of 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 the cannabis industry, to work with my brother Casey here, and this, I was thinking, this podcast is very much an analogy of what we do as a certification body. We're here 
to help them tell the story. And so my man, my, my man here is able to really run with it. So I just, I, I feel so blessed to have so many directions within the cannabis industry and to be able to work with family constantly. We, we're very blessed and keep going with it. Man, I love that you say that it's about facilitating telling the story. And this is our first trip up to Southern Oregon to tell a little bit of this story. And I, you've been up here for a good long while now and kind of in the heat of the development of the cannabis industry in Southern Oregon, obviously people have been cultivating cannabis here for a very, very long time, kind of more underground, more sheltered, less known than say, you know, Humboldt being the hot button generator of cannabis. But there's so many other places like this that have such deep roots and people didn't want to bring the attention on these places. So they often would say, oh, this is Humboldt weed. And it was really, you know, grown up here in Southern Oregon or wherever and top quality cannabis. Like, tell us a little bit about how you found this place and this place found you and a little bit of the story of this magical place that you were kind of telling us about. Sure. Um, well, I left New Jersey, but my, my identical twin brother, um, Matt, and I left New Jersey in 1996. Um, and I... We, we were both headed to the West Coast, you know, we, we got turned on early and, and Grateful Dead and Fish and, and that, that was our people, that was our tribe. And so we wanted to be where, that, where the seed of, that, of the counterculture was. And so we, we went out West and we both ended up in Ashland for a minute and, um, and then I went down to Humboldt um, and, and started that my, the next chapter of my life there. But my brother stayed in Ashland. And so at that time, you know, being a, a major thoroughfare for all sorts of goodness and magic, um, you know, I would, he would bring mushrooms down from Oregon and I would bring cannabis up from Humboldt and we just always had a connection um, it, to this area. Um, and so we would go out to Williams and to the Applegate and really started to see things like, wow, this is, you know, this is, they've been, they're doing the same thing up here as they are down there. Um, and I was in Humboldt for about 10 years and, uh, where I met you guys and, and really cut my teeth on being in, in cannabis, you know, and, and making a life for myself out of cannabis through cannabis. Um, and so I left Humboldt and moved to right below Mount Ashland in Siskiyou County, still in California and had a farm there. And then in 2008, bought property right out here in the Little Applegate. And that's the place uh, down there right outside of Buncombe that Rick's been to a few times. And when, you know, and we, and we're doing the medical thing there for years and um, sort of, you know, what, how I got interested in, in this type of farming and regenerative farming, I remember going out to Williams to a friend of mine um, and he was doing some work for this old schooler out there. And I saw these plants that were just the most amazing, beautiful cannabis plants I'd ever seen. Huge, just monsters grown right in the soil with, um, you know, straw, top mulch, all this stuff. And I was just like, oh my God, wow. You know, and, and me coming from this, this Humboldt modality that was really based on, you know, indoor and, and, you know, living on the coast in Humboldt, we were growing indoor. That's all you could do. That's all we could do. And so I was like, okay. This is amazing. This, these plants are the, the coolest and biggest things I've ever seen. 
like what how do we do this you know at that time i was also getting into natural building timber framing and so i had was sort of having this change in my you know my thought pattern and, and, and what I wanted to do of like, okay, I want to, I want to incorporate these sort of natural principles into my life, be they growing weed in a different way or building straw bale houses or cob houses. Um, and so how can I, how can I fine tune these other little parts? Cause cannabis has been my life. Cannabis, you know, I got out West at 17 and from that point on, this has been my life. Um, and I've been very fortunate, you know, and, and, and grateful to, to my elders here to, who, who brought me up in this thing. Hey, who are you calling old? <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> um, you know, but who, who, really, who really guided me in this way. And, you know, we, we all did this together. And that, that uh, so to, to be out, you know, up here and doing something, yes, but, but still in that vein of, of cannabis, I was like, all right, I'm going to try to do it this way. And so I, I started incorporating some of these principles and then the guys came up one time and, and I was like well you know I started doing more heavily relying on compost teas no liquid nutrients no bottled nutrients that kind of stuff and um, just started talking about it more and then um, over the years as it progressed further um, I met these great people Nick and Liz Mahmood, who are from Green Source Gardens, which is a, a farm here, a rec farm here in Oregon, but just incredible people and really sort of bastions of regenerative cannabis farming um, and farming in general. I mean, they grow so much, so a diverse variety of crops and food and medicine, um, but they really turned me on to, to these other ways of, of going about it and building soil and how building soil was really the, 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 the foundation of a good garden. Um, and so get, kind of getting blown apart by them and, and then, you know, tying that into the things that I was doing um, sort of allowed me to go further. And then when sort of legalization was on the wind up here in 2014, um, my wife and I joined a political action committee in Portland that was was sort of getting the ball rolling and defining what was going to go down for this um and so we kind of had a leg up on on the general populace about what these guidelines were going to be what did you have to have could you just grow in your backyard on your rural residential property or did you need ag land did you need you know these uh, water rights all these other things that for many years, you're just not thinking about when you're when you're growing cannabis on the um, bootleg black market style, um, traditional market. So we were like, okay, this is what we're going to need, you know. And then we kind of just like literally made it our job, especially my wife, of like trying to find the best property that could give us, you know, to where we could take our what we've learned to the next level and grow directly in the native soil and implement these these this sort of permaculture design um, thing, you know, the, uh, around cannabis and, and put, it, put that into play. You know, cover cropping, polyculture, hugel culture, um, all these different, these different principles that make up that modality of regenerative ag and permaculture and apply it to cannabis. Um, and we found this property in the fall of 2014, like right before the election, we were almost closing on a place 
way down in like Murphy. Like when you guys were coming in from Grants Pass, Murphy was that little town that you kind of hit after that. There was a market on the side. And you probably, you drove right by the property that we actually were a day away from closing on. Um, and it was like within a thousand feet of a school zone. And we, we, we found out literally the night before. Um, and so we backed out of it and we were like, oh my God, now we're going to start all over and da, 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 da. And this place came up, was on the internet for an hour and my wife found it and she was like, this is the place. She drove by because we live just a couple miles down the road and we, we made a move. And, you know, really none of this, any of this would have been possible if I hadn't done what I've done for the last 25 years. I mean, cannabis made this dream possible, you know, it, growing cannabis all these years, you know, running around parking lots with, with all you guys and everything else all these years made this possible. You know, this was the dream to have water, to be on farmland, to have, you know, to, to grow food, to grow medicine. All of these things happened as a result of dedication and reverence to the plant. It's funny, there's a, there's a saying in our community that uh, everything I know I learned in a parking lot, you just nailed it. Totally, dude. <laughs> you know, and that's, and, and I'm so grateful. And I'm so, you know, like that's the, the wisdom of, of, all of, of all of our friends and all of our community and, and the, the scene that we came up in, you know. Well, in that dream, it's like it all comes from a seed, right? Yes. And like what Jeremy was saying, you know, with his parents coming from the back to nature movement. You know, and tying it into the into the the '60s and the rock and roll, yeah. even though it was 20, 30 years after that that we were getting into yeah. that same music and hitting the open road and it took us here. But also on a, on a greater level, you know, taking the the back to nature ideals when it comes to farming and and growing cannabis and growing food and and medicine in general, and and sharing you know those ideals with the rest of the world as cannabis now has become more of a mainstream thing. Just like organic food, it's something that we've touched on in the, in the past that you know, 20 years ago, or when you left New Jersey in 1996, finding organic food at your local food town wasn't a thing. Well, you go back there now, and it, there's probably more than one aisle oh, yeah. you know, at this point. And so that thing, that, that, that web is completely uh, on, on its own track and spreading fast, and it's definitely it's great. And as much as that's a state of mind and a consciousness that we're sharing, it's also the result of taking that consciousness and state of mind and applying it to the world we live in being a capitalist market, right? Where we have to vote with our dollars and we have to choose wisely who's receiving every dollar we spend because that is what fuels the change. It was all of these people all over the country that were making the hard choices and going the extra mile to try and find organic food so they could support an organic farmer and give that money to build to the next step so more people with that energy could end up in properties like this and serving the culture, serving the land and letting the place choose them and kind of developing that energetic connection and sharing it with the world. So that, that's a really important thing that I, I just feel obligated to say is like, think about that every day when you make your choices, whether you're gonna stop in and buy an, you know, an honest tea, sure, choose the organic one, but like pay attention to who owns that corporation and maybe choose a, a yerba mate or a smaller locally owned company to vote 
with that dollar to support the people in your community to allow them to make better choices and elevate the community together. And that's really, I think, a big part of why we've all resonated so well as people and landed here today with the Cannabis Conservancy, Sun Earth Cert, Phoenix Rising Farms. Dragonfly Earth Medicine. Dragonfly Earth Medicine. Those guys are all such amazing people and elevating the consciousness of what we do, like bringing herbs and plant medicines and into growing and cultivation. Like I couldn't imagine these concepts 25 years ago when I was taking my first plant science course and understanding a little bit about biology and how plants feed because I wanted to know how to grow weed better. And these people and these concepts have really brought us all together. So, you know, I think it's important that we encourage everyone at home to make those choices, network with those people in your community. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a huge thing and really sort of pushing the, the, the popularity or the, to, to get sort of this widespread acceptance of regenerative farming, regenerative cannabis, um, is, is that, is pushing that, that message, you know, education for bud tenders and everyone else to learn why it makes sense to choose a small family farm than a big corporate run grow or whatever and know where your stuff comes from. You know, it's exactly that same thing of, of, of people who, who are wanting to source out organic food, you know, are the same people who, who are concerned with what they're putting in their body recreationally, you know, and to, and to, for them to be aware of, Hey, here's this product that comes from this farm that is, that cares about the watershed and cares about the, the soil and cares about, you know, all these, all these other different things, you know, if, if it's just this weed versus this weed, I would rather choose the one that, that supports these other things that I think are important, you know? And I think, I think, you know, with Sun and Earth and with the Cannabis Conservancy, with Dragonfly Earth Medicine, that, that kind of education that can be put out there just helps the consumer and helps everybody else. And with, with that, you know, as the certification thing starts to really matter and, and, and build, gain acceptance and gain understanding, I think you know, there's a responsibility there to where people are like, yeah, this, this, this does matter. You know, I could, I could sure I could smoke this weed. That's, you know, $3 a gram that was grown, you know, with salts in, you know, cocoa core or whatever, or I could smoke this, this nug that's five bucks a gram or seven bucks a gram that was grown in native soil. And with, with all that, you know, like there, there should be a value ratio with, with, you know, having these, these best practices and implementing these things, it should be, it should generate value for that kind of product. And, and hopefully, you know, bring more farmers in to, to cultivating that way because there's, there's a intrinsic value in it. And then there's a monetary reward for, for going that way. Well, that's part of the business too. That's, you know, interesting. We talk about it uh, a lot with growers where the, you know, so many growers have gotten pulled away from what they do the best, which is actually grow really good flour, right? And now they're actually, you know, tasked with running big businesses and, and sitting in front of a computer and filling out paperwork and applications. Administrative stuff. Um, and, you know, a big part of the business, especially if you are going to go with the branding side, driving home the small farm brand, is a part of, it's very similar to what I do as an employee of Royal Gold on the sales team, is, you know, we go out there and do exactly that and, and uh, drive home why... It would, uh, you know, all the all the good points of the family-run, uh, yes. you know, business and the practices, 
um, some of the things that we do on our property that are in line with my own values as far as taking care of the environment. And that's the same thing that, you know, with each individual small farm uh, and brand can, you know, you, you almost have to develop your own sales team to then go out. Right. And when there's a gazillion dispensaries, that is a, a whole task on its own to go out there and actually Definitely. educate those bud tenders, like you're saying, because they're the ones on the front line with, every, with all the end users that you're relying on them to drive that message home, you know, and that's a whole nother job for sure. Well, and that's something that I know we're going to dig into more in some future episodes, but it's um, locking in with distributors that also share that same sentiment and whether or not they offer product from other styles of farms, there are people that, you know, want to build a diverse portfolio so they can service all their dispensaries needs through their distribution network, but they still want to focus on really elevating those other brands. And I think to some degree, like you're saying, you have to have a spectrum. Yeah. Here's some $3 a gram weed. Here's some $5 a gram weed. And maybe here's some $10 a gram weed that like really is the extra mile. And it's the same thing with wines. It's the same thing with beers. You can go get a, you know, $1, you know, medium mass produced IPA, or you can get this like open air fermented sour by somebody who went and harvested the fruit themselves. Right, and right. like, you can connect with that in a different way. And it's, it's craft food, it's craft culture at its finest. And that's yeah. really, Something I just that, broke down and bought my first $9 jar of tomato sauce for that same reason. <laughs> wow. Love it. Yeah, Love that, it. That always seemed crazy to me, but it was the story on the label that got me. Yeah. The story was why I was like, man, I really need to try this. I love tomato sauce, so I'm kind of a sucker anyway. <laughs> but uh, but but you know, $9 on a jar of sauce when you have a family of five was always a tough sell. <laughs> for sure. But the story got me right, right in the feel goods. Yeah, and man. And it was amazing. Yeah, dude. I mean, that's that's the importance of of being able to connect with, you know, and, and this is this is sort of unique to Oregon. What I, you know, I was saying this before of like being able to go into dispensaries personally, you know, and you know that's what I've always done, you know, selling weed. That's, <laughs> come on now. Yeah, I mean, from <laughs> like, the parking lot. Exactly, of, of dude. Past, this is like you know? twenty-five years going strong. So it's like that I can do. So being able to tell the story about, you know, about what you know, what it is I'm trying to do and, and what this land is and, and everything else, it really helps, it really helps get the message. And I feel like, you know, in a situation like California and, and forgive me, I'm not a hundred percent dialed in on, on the intricacies of, of what's going on there as far as distribution. But what I know is that you, you have to have a third party, you know, the farmer brings their, their product to the distributor and the distributor is then tasked with, um, presenting the the flower to its its marketplace you know whatever stores it works with in in la bay area wherever um and what i feel you know the the impersonality of that is that when you have someone who is responsible for selling all these different farms products where is the individuation you know i'm i'm entrusting my thing that is i feel very unique and 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 curated in a way to someone who's like, yeah, man, we ripped, you know, a thousand lighter and, you know, 50 mixed light greenhouses, whatever, um, you know, in, into this mass produced thing. Yet I'm, yet I'm still, I'm in the back of the van. My product is with this same stuff. And there's no, there's no real personalization of it, you know? And I think that does the farmer a disservice. So it, it's, yeah. 
So in Oregon, I feel like, you know, we have this, we have the opportunity to do that. That being said, we, we have the pitfalls of it being Oregon, where there's only 4 million people in Oregon. We don't have a lot of people. The demographic is all in Portland or Eugene or Salem, you know, where the majority of the people are. And we've got a ton of growers. So we're, and there's, a, and there's a ton of dispensaries. So we're all kind of fighting over this, these little, little slivers of the pie. Yeah. So, you know, to, for it to be a, on a distribution scale, we'd be screwed because there's just so much that no one is able to differentiate other than how flashy is your branding, how flashy is your packaging to, to have that visual um, hit and then get your sales through that way. How, right. how clean are you or whatever, you know? So being able to, to, to bring it to the market and, and tell the story, I know personally for me, that's, that's worked that's gotten me into all the dispensaries that we work with, you know, is that, is, is that having that personal relationship and that's, that's huge, man. That's what it's about. You know, that, that was what it was about back in the day. I mean, that's, you know, the iced Eskimos. I can't help but to keep counting on the consumer to really be the, be the turning point here growing up uh, at the infancy of the organic movement when it was, it was nothing, even growing up in my bubble of Humboldt County, I realized that it was, you know, very special then, but you know, the organic movement wasn't anything in the eighties. And my father was battling with Salinas back then. And then organic slowly became a thing. And that was, it was market driven. I can't help, but to, it's such conscious driven. It's such conscious medicine that I can't help, but to think it'll drive the consumer towards a more sustainable way to farm. That's so well said, and personally, I have my moments. <laughs> many of them, my friend. And part of it, to me, I think, comes down to water and life. And when you're using all these toxic chemicals in conventional agriculture, you're killing off all of the microorganisms. You're killing the water that is literally alive in the food you're eating, that's feeding the enzymes, and you know, all of that affects your microbiome and affects the way we think as humans. And that's some really interesting science that's just starting to emerge as people are looking at like deep depression issues and psychological issues and recognizing that what we put in our body manifests the microbiome and literally can change the way we think. Completely. And I think that's a big part of cannabis and it's not you're not consuming the water in cannabis when you're smoking it. So that's, that's kind of an interesting disconnect to me, but for, through consuming organic food, I really feel that difference. You know, when we go out on the road and don't have the access to organic food, often you feel that difference and the food is dead. How do you gain life from a dead start? You know, so bringing life back into the ground into the microorganisms starting exactly. at the very bottom exactly and regenerating on up it's regenerating human civilization and human consciousness to me and i think it's difficult to understate that importance in my eyes amen totally brother agree. totally agree yeah i mean I, I think and you know and that that sort of there's a saying of you know soil is alive dirt is dead you know it, it's it bringing in that bringing in bringing back the life to, to just dirt, you know? I mean, one of the, one of the really amazing things that, uh, I'll go back to my friends Nick and Liz from Green Source Gardens, one of the amazing things that I saw is like, I remember being at one of the properties he had um, in Jacksonville a handful of years ago, maybe six, seven years ago, 
and it was just a flat sort of gravel gravel cutout for for that you would put a trailer on and he was like dude see this part this part here this is just this patch of gravel over here he's like this is what it was when i started and then as we moved down the thing which was just him adding manure leaves hay anything just mulching layering 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 three years in it was an established thriving cannabis garden that was full of worms and everything else grown on gravel essentially wow and it was like you know thin layer of gravel and just dead dirt dried out stuff you know and it's, it's amazing what can be done you know that that real regeneration of of adding layers of organic material and building the soil back you know and having that having that life um you know the microbiology everything else that that feeds and builds to nourish the plants which then nourish us whether we're eating them or we're smoking them or vaping them or whatever you're going to do you know and that's that's so on point without the tiniest organisms you can't get to the bigger ones it's all successional exactly you know there's a really excellent regenerative farmer and educator um down in humble um Craig from Alpenglow Farms. Yes. Um, and he's been an inspiration to me. His Instagram feed is amazing. Yep. If you haven't checked it he's out. Awesome. He's another, so another awesome. Another Dragonfly Earth Medicine Pure Farmer. A hundred percent. I toured his farm and he like really just broke it down in the simplest ways in that same kind of concept. He walked through, he's like, feel this. It's dead ground. Like this is what we're working with out here. Here's just from me laying cardboard on the ground totally to create a little bit of room for the microarthropods and the bacteria to grow and to build a little bit of fungus and all right now here's this with wood chips on top and here's this with cover crop and kind of walked me through the different phases of developing the life on that property there in Venbo and I can't thank him enough for that like breaking it down into bite-sized pieces. I've been aware of some of these things and learning about a lot of it for years and years and years, but when you break it down into just those little pieces and can look at it and visualize and see, oh yeah, that's rock hard, dead, nothing's growing there. Oh, under that cardboard, I might be able to get something to grow there. Oh, under the wood chips in the cardboard, wait, there's worms, like, yeah, something's gonna live. Yeah, now look, I've got cover crop, I've got, developed soil there's it's getting crumbly and soft and there's moisture and fungus and like wow it's so amazing when you can really just see it in that linear path yeah absolutely absolutely yeah you know I, and i i think you know and i was talking to jeremy and kelly about this earlier of like and this this might be slightly off topic but I, I'm, I'm kind of um was just thinking about this is that you know for for a lot of cannabis growers and farmers to to move to move towards a regenerative method and, and using these principles you know cannabis growing has been so results based for so long because it's a cash crop and, and and we get good money for it so it's hard to get people out of their their system of like okay i use these bottled nutrients this is what i do i grow in rock wool whatever you know, this is what I have to do, or, or I grow in bags or whatever it is. And, you know, what you can get, the results that you can achieve through really just throwing layers on the ground, 
can get you an amazing product at the end. You know, like that, that's, it's attainable and a lot easier than I think people think. You know, they're like, oh my God, if I do that, I'm going to have X number of runs where everything looks like shit and then I can't sell it. And what am I going to do? Da, 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 da. I'm just going to stick with these because this is, this is good, whatever. You know, when really it's just like trust, you know, trust in nature, trust in the process. And really at the end of the day, you're still, you're going to have an amazing product. Like I think we do a decent job, you know, like the, <laughs> it, it, it's, it, it's really just sort of letting nature do its thing and, and, and trusting in that process and, and you're going to be fine. You know? And I think, I think if more, if more people just sort of gave, it's a plant, it's going to grow. It doesn't need a ton. It's a weed for Christ's sake. You know, it's like, it's going to do its thing, you know? And if we give it a little bit, even just layering down some stuff, you're going to be amazed at the results. Yeah. And it doesn't just happen overnight. The education piece, the development right. piece. And that's where like, you know, I think, the Cannabis Conservancy really comes in as a very important role to help facilitate people taking those tiny steps in a realistic way, like looking into what it takes to get all the way there and then breaking it into bite-sized pieces. Okay, well, yeah, I'm running salts, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. Well, I'm going to start adding some biology, even through a liquid. I'm going to hit yep. a store and I'm going to buy some beneficial sure. biology and I'm going to start incorporating the concepts so I know how it works and I can elevate just that little bit from where I'm at and just follow the path. And, you know, I think this is going to be a good kind of transition point. I really want to get Kelly from the Cannabis Conservancy on here on mic for a few minutes to talk about more in depth about what you all do there since we have this opportunity and just remind people, don't be discouraged if you're not doing these things we're talking about. Be encouraged that there's ways to improve and ways to make it better and ways to bring that feeling you feel in your heart to your plants and to share that with the world. That's exactly it. Trust your connection with that plant. Trust that plant to show you. Wow. Get farmed. Get farmed. <laughs> yes. I'd like to introduce Kelly, Kelly O'Rourke. She's, she's our executive project manager at the Cannabis Conservancy. She's a co-founder of the Redwood Alternative Agricultural Fund. I'd like to introduce her so she can explain better what it is that we are doing in Humboldt County. That sounds great. Let's take a really short break to get her mic'd up and join the conversation. So yeah, Kelly, welcome to the conversation. You've been here alongside us as we did this tour and walked through Phoenix Rising Farms and you've really added a lot to the conversation and I regret that we haven't had an extra mic on you this entire time. So, you know, tell us a little bit about what brought you into the Cannabis Conservancy and tell me again about, what is it, RAF? The Rad RAF. Um... It, it's RAF, the Redwood Alternative <laughs> Agricultural Fund. Yeah. It, it's an... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I'm it's a, a nonprofit that, that Kelly, uh, she had to fire it past me twice about writing a grant. And uh, I was smart enough to get out of her way. So. <laughs> well, um, yeah, just to sort of be upfront, I, I've never grown cannabis. I'm not in the cannabis world. I didn't come to you Humboldt now. to grow, grow cannabis or be involved in cannabis. Um, I came to Humboldt just to find some freedom 
For my family, a place to set down roots, I bought Om Shala Yoga in Arcata in 2017. And I worked my ass off owning that business and teaching and, and trying to spread yoga and just have a family here in town. And then, you know, the first house I, I came into, my, the first rent house in Humboldt, was a grow house. And I didn't know until I actually moved in there and I heard water running behind the, the walls. And I was like, this place is a little bit different, right? <laughs> you know, a little bit unusual. And I, I, I got to know all the people in the community through this work and, with my business. Um, and I, it, it kind of deeply affected me because these, these became my friends. We lost um, a, a member of the studio family to suicide who was in the scene in the traditional market and just, you know, was struggling with depression for a long time. And that, that really touched me. And I saw how people in the community were both struggling and also just like killing it too, crushing it one year. And then the next year prices are through the floor and my business is down 70%. And I'm kind of asking myself, like, there's a lot more going on here that I don't understand. So in 2020, COVID hit, I lost my business or I surrendered my business rather to like new things. And really asking myself what am I going to do now you know what am I going to do now I have a, a degree in physics and engineering but I took a different route you know I didn't want to end up in an office all day or a laboratory all day you know I was doing radiation inspections at the Department of Environmental Quality in Oklahoma way back in the day and uh, I decided you know what I think I like to be an artist and a doula and have babies and grow food and all of that thing and I went that road and I ended up in Humboldt and jobless with kind of a 10-year gap in my education, like, well, hell, what am I going to do? Um, I started applying for cannabis jobs because my partner works in the cannabis testing field. And he was like, look, they don't need people that know how to grow. There's lots of people that know how to grow. They need people that know how spreadsheets work and how to, you know, code and do things that are, you know, outside of the agricultural sphere. So Jeremy found me and gave me work when my benefits ran out. So like forever grateful to the cannabis world and the cannabis industry for giving me a job. So just really working with him, it started out just helping with reports and inspections and listening to what they're trying to do and what they're trying to further. And it just all kind of started connecting. Um, and I, I'm a business, I'm a business person. So great, we want to do this. We want sustainability. We want people like Casey doing the right thing. We want them to be able to get certified. We want all of this to happen. Who's going to certify them? Who's writing the standards? Who's paying all these bills? So the question becomes like, who's paying for this? Someone's got to foot the bill. Um, and I, I was looking around and the trellis fund is right there in front of us. It's like got millions and millions of dollars in it. There's lots of talk about it. And from where I was sitting, it just seemed obvious. Like this is coming straight from your cultivation taxes. It's meant to further economic and environmental sustainability of the region. It's perfect for certification. We need to get these farms in the program. I wrote a five page grant. We got $50,000 um, from Project Trellis this year. And it's all going to Sun and Earth certification for local farms in Humble and Cannabis Conservancy Simply Eco program which is sort of sun and earth up here, like at the regenerative level, like really Casey is like a great example. But everywhere along the way, you can become recognized for your efforts, really. Whether it's step zero or step one or step two, you know, we're gradually pulling people 
further and further along the path. So the idea is step one, we get an inspector out there and write a report and get you a corrective action plan. That costs money. Somebody has to pay for it. Dr. Bronner's is a great supporter of Sun and Earth Certified. But, you know, a one private company can't fund an entire certification industry, so to speak. So we need to push on the regulators and on the people that are collecting these cultivation taxes to give that back into the community and really do what those are meant to do. And that's what it was all about. Get money from the people that took your money and give you back that money. And that's what RAF's all about. Wow, that is just a fantastic story. You know, having been in Arcata for 20-ish years, like I watched Om Shala come up and, you know, a very good friend and somebody from the cannabis community is there now, Sean, right? He bought the business from me. He's one of my students, came to take my classes, and we kept it in the family. We broke a really awful lease and got him into a sustainable place, right? So that's what it's all about. That's so, <laughs> so crazy to me that he kind of exited the cannabis community and cultivation industry after running, you know, um, Trinity Humble River Dad. Supply, Hum Ag, developing products, encouraging organic, sustainable growth, and was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going a different direction. I'm going inward. And... I actually just ran into him at the co-op last week and he was telling me about how fulfilled he is in this transition and I think that's just, wow, what a great full circle story yeah. that I had no idea was coming. That's I, really cool. I tear cool. up actually when I think about Sean and um, yeah, so. He was one of the first people I met when I moved to Humboldt. I'd met a few of these guys actually before I moved there so I kind of fell into a community. but. Sean was one of the first people when I actually drove out from Michigan. Shamu? Yeah. Dude. Yeah. That's awesome. He bought the studio from me. That's awesome. Yeah. He was one of my first regular students and kept coming back. One of my first private students in the community. And um, he just fell in love with the Ashtanga. We're a weird little crew of, of yogis, you know. And um, he took something off of me that I could not handle. It was too big for me. And he was in the place where... You know, yoga does that. It opens your heart. Cannabis does that, too. It's all, it's all very much related. Um, and he just didn't even think twice. Handed me 5K in a brown paper bag, the humble style. <laughs> and we broke that lease and got that studio to a place where it's going to thrive and be able to offer a really authentic place for practice. So give him a shout-out. Like, love you, Sean. Thanks. Hope you're listening somewhere. <laughs> That's big, awesome. big ups to Sean on Definitely. that. And for those of you out in the world... You probably experienced influence from that gentleman that you never even saw. So yeah, big respect to him and yep. big respect to you guys both for con continuing to generate this community, you know, I don't even know how to say it, this like pinnacle of community gathering. I know so many people who have met friends and come through that studio and learned so much about connecting heart and mind in a big way. and. I feel like that's a lot about what you're doing now as well as like connecting that logical mind of like going through the process, using the system to benefit the community in a really positive way. Actually, one of our very early episodes on Royal Grown Radio, we worked um, with Tara and Natalyn from the Humboldt County Growers Alliance and we talked a lot about the trellis grants and how there were so many junk applications for this money and to hear that that's the seed that really is elevating this whole kind of organization that's 
just music to my ears and so meaningful. Well, shout out to them too, HCGA um, and the policy work that's done there. Really, the marketing assessment, I read the dang things. I maybe, maybe one of the few people that did read it all the way through and I was really inspired by it. And I thought, this is some big ideas. This is what we need. Um, and we need, it's, it's not going to come out of one mind. It's going to come out of all of us just sort of kind of channeling what we're naturally good at. And if we stick together, then we're so much stronger together. Like the greed and the money issue, that's powerful. But life happens across a huge spectrum. And that's what Casey's like totally figured out is that life is happening daily. It's happening every single minute. And the way you spend your time matters to you and to everybody around you. It's not just about like this goal to get the most out of every system we encounter. Just for what? We find out that it's actually not so fulfilling. We find that out and then we go to yoga and we try to figure out why we're not fulfilled. Um, and we, we study yoga for a long time and all we figure out is that everything's changing all the time. And that's the only thing we know. Right. So what is there to do? Do something worthwhile. Do something that you enjoy. Be a part of life, not just a part of making something for one goal, you know, because you miss your life like that. Yeah. And yoga is very well much meditation in motion and like channeling that action of your body into action in your mind and your spirit. And I feel like that's how we all connect in the same way to once again, back to the microbiome, start at the tiniest organisms and grow it. So, yeah. wow. Uh, I'm so glad to hear a little more <laughs> about, you know, you joining this community and how, how do you plan on taking the next steps to continue to elevate these two organizations? I'm going to do a lot of writing and a lot of elbowing people in the ribs. Um, I mean, that's kind of what I'm about is, is using the brain that's sort of like given me trouble in a lot of ways, like smarts sometimes come with depression. Right. And, and what I'm finding is that the more I can kind of focus in on this organization and what it, what is possible, the more I'm energized by that. And so the goal is to expand the fund next year to increase it. You know, we want to start pushing and pressuring the county to set some real goals to, you know, what they want to, they said in their marketing assessment, adopted by the Board of Supervisors, right? Everybody signed off on it. Environmental sustainability is the most important thing in Humboldt County. That's what we want to promote. Sun-grown, living soil, regenerative, slow, community-driven place, right? Put your money where your mouth is. Give those farms money for certification. Give them money for consulting. We want to see the fund expanded out to increase access to high efficiency drip systems and water storage and rain catchment ponds. That's sort of the next step. I like to keep things simple because things get way out of your hands, you know, but goal one in 2021 is just to certify up to 35 farms, spend all of that money, let it go right back into the farms. And then year two, maybe we expand the fund to include more farms and we include a portion for improvements as well. And then, you know, it's about listening. What, what, could RAF do? What do you need help with? What are you pressed on? What do, are you pissed about? You know, like, how can we help bring collaboration into, um, I don't know, the places where maybe people like Jeremy weren't so welcome at first, you know, in a, in a grant application, so to speak, not necessarily a physical place, but like the places where you might not have the right words or the right language to express what you're doing. And that's where like, people coming in from outside interested in the culture and interested in the area 
they're saying like, well, I have this skill. I can write. I can talk to you and spend lots of time with you and listen to you. And I can put it on paper. And then I can get somebody at the you know, CDFA or whoever it is to read this. And because I speak that language, they're going to listen and they're going to move because they don't know what to do is what I'm finding out, you know, as I learn more. Nobody knows what to do yeah. here. So it's all up to the community to really build it and tell them how to how to help. They're needing that guidance. And I, I think it's really important that the community gives an opportunity for these smaller farms doing the right thing to compete against the big ag. And that's one of the challenges with a lot of the things that are written. You know, that intent is there to support sun-grown cannabis, but you can't necessarily effectively compete in the market year-round doing one sun-grown crop. So you, you got to find ways to diversify and be as sustainable as you can as you integrate technology using LED lights and try and stretch your season a little bit, but do it in a conscious and wise way. And it also really speaks to me that the whole kind of translation to bureaucracy, like bureaucracy doesn't really hear the heart language that a lot of cannabis people want to speak. They, and that's fine. Play their game. Absolutely. You know, they're, they're just, they're playing a game and they've been playing it for a long time. And a lot of it's very soulless. And a lot of them are kind of like, eh, too inside. And like, you can get into their minds and make, and speak a language that makes sense. And like, you can use math. You can use all of these things. Like math has been manipulated and distorted to, to get more value out of products and get more value out of people since a long time ago. So, you know, two can play that game. Like if, if there is a counterculture and we're part of it, then like the fight's really just starting in a lot of terms. You know, it's like we can't just allow cannabis to become just one more ag product, just one more commodity. And that's a true danger right now. It is. That's why you've got, you've got to push into those bureaucratic channels and you've got to like play even if you find it distasteful because like that's where you're going to find that $50,000 that saves the organization and gives the small farmer one more year or a little bit more time to hang on while they're trying to be choked out by all these bigger brands. What I would like to see is a, a, a cooperatively held distribution company and Humboldt sources only sustainable weed and it's held by the people that are growing it. They get a cut. That's what I, I would love to see that happen in Humboldt. I mean, if it couldn't happen anywhere, it could happen here or that, there. I yeah. guess we're not here. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> it's brilliant and it's practical. And you know, we keep, because it's where we're from, we keep tying back to Humboldt and that's really where this podcast kind of started but we developed the idea to go to other places and like share stories from other places and how it connects so we're sitting here in southern Oregon talking about all these same things that I know you want to see in your community absolutely does the Cannabis Conservancy work across borders or obviously you're here inspecting and working with Casey so you're doing work here how are you bringing that to the greater national movement and places like Oklahoma where you're from that are really absolutely exploding and the more effectively we can get these things to start at this base level the more effectively they'll grow so how do we bring that to those communities? The Cannabis Conservancy is the only internationally recognized sustainable cannabis and hemp certification body. Um, we are we are in a few states already, and and that's it's it's something that I had, 
you know, I was so focused on everywhere else, you know, because I'm so humble, you know, humble centric. I don't want to be humble centric because the cannabis industry is, 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 is global. And everyone, everyone who has this plant in their life has a connection to this plant. So, but what I've found by focusing on humble, we can really help inform the rest of the industry elsewhere. So I'm, I'm very excited what the Cannabis Conservancy Sun and Earth can do in Oregon, um, DM. Um, it's, 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 it's exciting, you know. I have my eyes on Spain. Come on, you know. I mean, it's 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 you know, and it's about it's about sustaining. It's not just about producing sustainably. It's about sustaining the farmer, and that the story that we are helping the farmer to tell will do that in the end. And the earth will see you through this time. <laughs> You're here. I love it. It's taking that germ of, germ of an idea from the back to the earth people, mm -hmm. where they just had this like maybe a smaller narrower view of how to start this process and it's it's really growing in the way that all of these cultures are growing and it's catching on and it's building that sustainability i i just want to say thank you all for all of your contributions to this community that we're all so blessed to be a part of and you know we've been talking for a long time i i know our producers got his work cut out for him on this one so I think we're going to have to bring this conversation a little bit to an end for now and know that we're going to come back and do it again sometime because this to me is what Royal Grown Radio is. This to me is what the cannabis movement is, the Cannabis Conservancy, Phoenix Rising Farms. Let's be the change we want to see. Let's bring it to the people and people bring the change to us. Help us learn more yes. every day. I feel so blessed to be in this community where I just sat down and learned so much about people I've known for 20 years, people I've just met that we already share integral ties in the community. Thanks for joining us, Casey. My pleasure, man. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for, for having being here. us. For being here. It's, it's an honor to have you here. It, it means the world to me and Jeremy, Kelly, Thank you. Thank you all so much. Yeah, and if anyone's out there listening and you are growing organically or you want to grow organically, you want to even start that process, we have scholarships available for this year still. So rathhumboldt.org, you can apply or you can just get at any of us in any informal channel that works for you, parking lot, whatever. So we have room in the program. <laughs> we, want, we want more farms on board. Absolutely. Let's keep growing, people. Thanks so much for listening to Royal Grown Radio. Radio, 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 radio. Casey Branham with Phoenix Rising Farm. You can find us on Instagram at Phoenix Rising Farm and uh, here representing Phoenix Rising Farm for Royal Grown Radio. Thank you so much. My name is Kelly O'Rourke. This is Jeremy Lord with the Cannabis Conservancy Sun and Earth, Redwood Alternative Agricultural Fund. Thank you for listening to Royal Grown Radio. Thank you so much.